you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. What is up? Welcome to another edition of the NFL Fantasy Football Show. It's me, your man, MG Marcus Grant, still masking, socially distancing on the shot. Uh, as we get closer, hopefully to the end of all of this, we can go back to doing real life stuff again. But in the meantime, we are back here again with another edition, joined as always by producer Steve, and joined for the next few weeks by a special guest. You know him, especially if you watch the fantasy football show in season, you know him as our resident nerd. He's also a researcher extraordinaire, does his own podcasting on the side. Uh, fantasy guy, smart guy, fun guy. Glad to have him on the show. It is Matt Okada. Matt, thanks for coming on, man. How are you? Uh, doing great after that strong intro. Uh, <laughs> feeling very uplifted. I'm doing pretty good. We're in the heart of draft season and dynasty season, and that's my favorite part of the year for fantasy. So this is good stuff. Yeah, I know this is a big time for you. I know you have uh, kind of been up to your eyeballs in prospects, and that was why uh, I wanted to get you on here in the month of April. So this is going to be uh, the start of a four-part series. We will go position by position. Today will be quarterbacks and tight ends because we figured – uh, you know, the numbers are a little bit smaller there, so we can sort of combine them into one show. Next week, we'll do running backs, and then we'll finish off with a two-part show on wide receivers. So the final two weeks of April leading right up until the NFL draft, we will hit you on the wide receivers who might be uh, – I don't, I don't think there's really an argument, probably the deepest position uh, offensively, offensive skill position in football in the draft this year. So we'll talk about them uh, as well. But first, before we dive into any of that – uh, there was some news that happened on Monday, kind of came a little bit late in the day, uh, but obviously took over football Twitter for a while. And that was Sam Darnold getting out of New York. He was traded to the Carolina Panthers for a handful of draft picks. And the Panthers immediately picked up his fifth year option on top of that. So it looks like they are planning to install him as their starting quarterback for the next couple of years and see if maybe he can kind of be that guy for Matt Rule and this Panthers offense. But obviously, Matt, this has fantasy implications. Uh, first off, let's just let's let's start with the big question, because the question that was sort of going around is, is Sam Darnold better than Teddy Bridgewater? I think the the early returns, you just kind of pair them the numbers wise. The answer is probably no which hurts my heart. I always love my Trojans and I want to stick up for them. <laughs> um, but I think the other part of this is for the wide receivers there, for Robbie Anderson, for DJ Moore, for those guys there, is this an upgrade going from Teddy Bridgewater to Sam Darnold? So the answer to the second question really depends on the answer to the first question, whether or not Darnold actually is better than Bridgewater. And the tough thing is we don't know because the Darnold we know has been playing under Adam Gase and he's supposed to be a quarterback guru. At least that's what we learned when he supposedly taught Peyton Manning how to play the quarterback position. And then everyone, every general manager since then has thought he could raise up their young quarterback to start him. 
That's not what we've seen happen. We saw Ryan Tanhill play awfully under him for several years and then finally escape and become one of the most effective, efficient quarterbacks in the NFL with Tennessee. So the real question is, is Sam Darnold, does, has his struggles been entirely or largely the fault of Adam Gase and with him now out of that system, going to Carolina where he's got great weapons at every position pretty much in the pass catching sense, is he going to finally break out? I think it's close, to be honest. Teddy Bridgewater supported two 1,100-yard receivers last year, essentially. Robbie Anderson had 1096, but who's counting? Um, <laughs> so th- that's that's great. And Christian McCaffrey wasn't there. The offense as a whole maybe wasn't running as smoothly as it could have. So the touchdowns were low. I think those could have been higher if McCaffrey was around for everybody involved. But he was solid and efficient. So... The question is, does Darnold have upside that he has not yet realized? If he does, and if he does take a step forward now that he's out from under Gase, I think he will be better than Teddy Bridgewater. This is the top three quarterback. I believe he was a good prospect coming out of school. So I'm going to put my eggs in the Darnold basket, kind of, but I'm not (laughs) super excited about receivers, and I'm not necessarily super excited about him out of the gate. We'll see. I don't I don't think anybody is suddenly going to start drafting Sam Darnold in fantasy just because he got out of New York and, and went to Carolina. Um, I am sort of holding on to this, you know, this theme of getting away from Adam Gase. Right. I mean, we have talked about all the players who got out from underneath him and had success. You mentioned Tannehill, uh, you know, Kenyon Drake kind of got away from him in Miami and, and went out to Arizona and was successful. We see Robbie Anderson get out of New York and go to Carolina and have a pretty good year last year. So, um, you know, so there is at least some hope there. I know, you know, our old pal Graham Barfield sort of joked uh, on Twitter after the move was made is that, okay, well, Sam Darnold's going to be great now, right? Like that's just how this works. <laughs> so um, I, I don't think anybody is suddenly going to, you know, rocket him up their draft boards and suddenly try to make him a top 10 or 12 quarterback. But I do think there is some hope. There's something to hold on to that. Maybe there's a, you know, maybe he can get a little bit better. Maybe he can show some of that potential that a lot of us saw when he was coming out of USC. I will admit that I can't be completely objective about him in part because I know I always sort of cape for USC guys. And on top of it, I just felt so frustrated watching him uh, in that New York offense for a number of years there. So, uh, I will admit to not being completely objective for hoping for the best, uh, but also admitting, look, if if it doesn't happen in Carolina, then at this point it's just on him, right? Like that he just oh, it yeah. just didn't work out, uh, and and there really are no more excuses here uh, when he gets down to Carolina. Um, so I said like he's not gonna he's not gonna bump up a little bit. Does this mean? Well, you know what? I was gonna ask this is what does this mean for the Jets? But I feel like we're gonna get to that in a little bit. So maybe that mm. is the perfect way to, to segue uh, into what we were really gonna talk about today which is the quarterbacks, the tight ends. First, though, I kind of want to just want to just talk to you, though, about about your journey and, and your process to getting here, because uh, you've been a researcher with us at the NFL for a couple of years. You know, like I mentioned, you were uh, you were our stat guy on the fantasy football show, the Ask a Nerd segment, which I personally loved. It was one of my favorite things during the week. Um, it, how did you get interested in, in wanting to scout guys and, and the whole dynasty football life that you're doing right now? Yeah, for sure. Um, so probably five or six years ago is when I got into the fantasy like 
analyst community, if you can call it that. I don't know if I consider myself an analyst full blown, but <laughs> but started writing for sites, worked with a lot of the you know big sites like the fantasy footballers and fantasy pros doing just writing on the side because I loved fantasy football. And then over time, that morphed more and more into as dynasty football gained popularity, me focusing in on that and then starting up a podcast with a couple friends from the industry, uh, the Dynasty Fantasy Football uh, podcast. And since we focused in on that, I began to want to learn more about how to properly scout these players. Because in Dynasty, the most important thing is identifying a rookie, whether he's going to be good or not, drafting where he needs to be drafted in your rookie draft. And if you can't figure out if he's good for yourself, then you're just going off of someone else's ideas. So I actually took a course with a place called the Scouting Academy uh, on wide receivers specifically. So that I'm... That's kind of my uh, my niche or my my special skill. But in general, I uh, have just spent the last few years scouting uh, scouting players as they come out of college, watching the tape, going through the analytics and uh, trying to identify who's going to succeed. And it's been really, really fun. And I think it's been working out OK. <laughs> I think it's been working out great. Like I said, we're, we're glad to have you. I'm excited to talk to you uh, for the next few weeks about this and, and definitely looking forward to the wide receiver section. I, uh, I noticed if, if people go to your Twitter account at Matt Okada, uh, one of the things in your bio says certified wide receiver scout. So yep. um, definitely looking forward to kind of getting to that part of it as well. So um, but let's start with the quarterbacks, because why wouldn't we? Um, they are expected to be the first at least three, maybe four players off the board right now. It looks like it's going to be quarterbacks. It would be a major news flash if Trevor Lawrence was not the number one overall pick, right? If if somehow the Jaguars go to the microphone and they say a name that isn't Trevor Lawrence, it really might break the internet. Um, so let's just assume he is your number one quarterback. Who are your quarterbacks two through five after that? For the draft? Yeah. Or for fantasy? Okay, for the uh, draft. How about, how about if you have both? Why not we do both? Okay, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> number number two for the draft is pretty easy. I think it's going to be Zach Wilson. That's all the talk uh, in and around New York, especially now that they've shipped off Darnold, is that they're going to take Zach Wilson. So that's my expectation for two in the draft. He's not my two for fantasy. That would be Justin Fields, unless Justin Fields goes to a certain situation in which he would be my number one for fantasy. Yes, I know that's insane. I have a quarterback <laughs> above Trevor Lawrence. But if he goes to San Francisco, and that's really the key of the NFL draft ranking that you're asking about as well, will they take Justin Fields? Will they take Mac Jones, which is where most of the hype and, and news is trending towards that Shanahan and the 49ers want Mac Jones. Which gives me indigestion, by the way. I don't know We'll talk about that in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we will. Mac Jones is by far my fourth. My fantasy third is Trey Lance. So if, you, if you're not going to take Justin Fields, I would even prefer Trey Lance. But it sounds like the 49ers might go Mac Jones. If they do... Wilson probably jumps Justin Fields, depending on where Fields goes. There's a couple other good spots Fields could go that for fantasy, I would still like him a lot. But after the Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson kind of top tier, who th those are the guys I expect to go to the very, very top. And like from prospect perspective, then you have Trey Lance, who's maybe a little bit of a tier below for me, a little bit more of a project. He's probably going to go fourth out of this group i would guess if the niners take mac jones it sounds like other 
teams will maybe like like Lance a little bit more than Fields as well, which again I don't understand. <laughs> um, but he's my my fourth in that sense, and then Mac Jones for me is the clear fifth from a prospect perspective. If he goes to San Francisco at three, that's going to boost his value because that's such a great group of offensive weapons and offensive minded quarterback or a head coach. But from a prospect perspective, he's a clear fifth to me. So that's how it falls for both the draft and for fantasy. All right. Um, so when you are looking at these quarterbacks um, for fantasy purposes, I mean, what what sort of things are you specifically looking for? What sort of things don't really matter in terms of, you know, overall overall scouting? Yeah, there's honestly a lot that people get excited about that don't that doesn't matter much. So one of the number one things there is arm strength. And when I say that, I mainly mean the 70 yards from your knees hype video <laughs> that people get super excited about. The, the arm strength I'm much more interested in, in is can you throw a you know 15-yard out route on a rope? That that impresses me. But the deep ball, throw it you know 70 or 80 yards down the field, really doesn't matter to me. That does not happen often in the NFL. Uh, so it's very low on my, my scale. And the other one that doesn't really matter to me too much is height. I think we're past that point where we need our quarterback to be six, five in order to feel good about him. (laughs) And then another big one for me is school. A lot of people get wrapped up in what school does this quarterback come from? Have they produced a bunch of good quarterbacks before? It's one of the reasons people think maybe Justin Fields, is not that popular because Ohio state doesn't really have a great track record with that. And that Mac Jones is a little bit higher because Alabama produces great everybody's at every position. I don't really think that's, you know, too big of a deal. The best quarterback in the NFL, arguably going to be the greatest that ever played the position is from Texas Tech. And probably the (laughs) second best fantasy quarterback right now, if you like Josh Allen a lot, is from Wyoming. So (laughs) school does not matter to me too much. As far as what does matter, four traits, accuracy, Right now, rushing ability, arm talent, which is different from arm strength, and processing, kind of in that order, those are the traits that matter to me most. And so if I see two or three of those are really, really good, and, oh, he can't throw the ball 70 yards, it's not likely to matter to to me too much, and I'm likely to still like that prospect. So I think there are a few things I, I sort of picked up on there, right? Like the, you talk about the the hype videos, right? And I remember, I'm pretty sure it was maybe Jamarcus Russell was one of those guys, right? Where oh. he like, he was like on his knees and threw the ball like 70 yards. And it was yep. that moment where the Raiders fell in love with him. We know how that turned out, right? So I do think there's something like, you know, obviously the Zach Wilson throw from Pro Day was all over Twitter. And it's an amazing throw. I, there's no doubt about it. I mean, you know, he's, he's kind of fading to his left a little bit and throws back and throws an absolute dime, you know, 60, 70 yards down the field. Very impressive. But I think you it speaks to your point. It's not very often in a game where you're going to ask a quarterback to do that. And so it's nice that you have a guy who can, um, but it feels it's sort of like, you know, criticizing offensive linemen for you know having a slow 40 time. Well, if your offensive lineman is running down <laughs> 40 yards down the field, like it's, it's not going to happen all that yeah. often. Right. Um, you know, same, same with defensive linemen, right? If your defensive lineman has to run sprint 40 yards down the field, something really bad is happening to your defense right there. So uh, I do think it's sort of one of those things to, to kind of keep an eye on. Also the, the, the school things. I know that that ends up being kind of an easy argument against guys uh, that, you know, for a while, 
uh, I, I sort of internalized this, right? USC wide receivers had a bad track record for a while, mm-hmm. right? But now all of a sudden you got some guys out there who are playing really well. And especially if you're talking about, you know, if, if I don't know that going to Alabama is a, a notch in Mac Jones's corner. I mean, like right now you've got, you've got Tua Tungavailoa, who the jury is very much still out on. You've got Jalen Hurts, uh, who, I mean, I guess he's an Alabama quarterback, sort of. Uh, he was there for a little bit, um, yeah. but we still don't really know about him. Um, beyond that, I mean, you can go back and and history is littered with Alabama quarterbacks who never really made much of a mark uh, in the NFL. So I think that's, you know, I think you scout the player and not necessarily the school. I would say the only caveat to that for me is if you're talking about multiple quarterbacks who came through the same system, the same coaching staff, then Mm. I think maybe there's something you can sort of, you know, maybe there's something in the way they were coached up or something in the offensive scheme that maybe has something to do with it. But um, generally a lot of the only thing those guys have in common is that they, they walked on the same patch of land uh, (laughs) over the course of three or four years. Uh, And maybe that has something to do with it. Um, So I was going to kind of jump into the players individually, but you talked about, uh, Justin Fields and and what it could mean if he goes to San Francisco versus say Mac Jones maybe landing with the 49ers which side note uh, growing up in the Bay Area and being a 49ers fan uh, my, my best friend and, and several others we're in a text chain and uh, my, my closest friend in life right now is sort of uh, heartbroken over the fact that it doesn't look like Zach Wilson is going to fall to the 49ers at three, which is the guy that he mm-hmm. really wants. Um, if if they draft Mac Jones at three, I might have to call the, the, the authorities to do a wellness check on him at his home <laughs> because I don't think he's going to handle that very, very well. Uh-huh. Um, but of these guys, say, in the, the top five – is Justin Fields the best quote unquote Shanahan quarterback, or is there another guy that, that you think could could be a better fit there? Um I'm going to exclude Lawrence and Wilson from that question because I don't think they'll be there. But I will True. say I will say that even if I included Wilson, I think probably the guy I like best for the system would still be Justin Fields. And I'm I'm Lawrence is not going to happen, but he would be the best because he's the best prospect of these guys overall for the NFL. But from those four guys that are left, even including Wilson, and certainly from the guys I expect to be left at three, yes, I think Justin Fields is the best option. So a lot of people lean towards Mac Jones because he's kind of like what Shanahan has had. You know, he had Kirk Cousins for a while. He's had Jimmy Garoppolo for a little bit. These sort of accurate, good game managers – Get the job done, not going to really make a lot of mistakes, but not going to be super dynamic guys. And we, for some reason, project that forward like that's what Shanahan wants. <laughs> what what coach, looking at the options, wants the super basic, boring game manager guy when they could have a guy who's equally as accurate, if not more accurate? Because in my opinion, Justin Fields is the most accurate quarterback in this draft. But then also add... I could I would say five times more dynamic ability than Mac Jones, but it's really more like infinity times ability because <laughs> Mac Jones has none and Justin Fields has a ton. He will I, unlock the San Francisco offense in a way that Mac Jones can't. Can Mac Jones game manage the 49ers? Sure. Could he maybe get them to the Super Bowl like Jimmy G did, only to lose to a dynamic quarterback? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> it's a tough, a tall ask. 
But Justin Fields brings so many other levels of things that Kyle Shanahan can implement in that offense. I think that would be a much more exciting option. Unlock the offense entirely a bunch more. And I just think he's a much better prospect overall. Thank you so much for, for mentioning the, the Shanahan quarterbacks, because I went through it. I was like, I want to let me, I just want to make a list of some of the guys that he has worked with. Right. And I did, I, you know, so, so, you know, this is as an offensive coordinator or as a head coach, some of the guys mm-hmm. that he's had. So he had Matt Schaub. Uh, he had an end, end of career Donovan McNabb, right? So not the, the Donovan McNabb we knew in Philadelphia. Uh, he had Rex Grossman. Uh, he had Robert Griffin III for a couple of seasons, but mind you, you know, the knee injuries really kind of sapped a lot out of him early in his career. Uh, he had Brian Hoyer. He had Matt Ryan, who is nice, but is very much your, you know, your prototypical stand in the pocket statuesque kind of quarterback. Uh, and then now that he's in San Francisco, he's got your your poo poo platter of Jimmy Garoppolo, Nick <laughs> Mullins, CJ Beathard. Um, and you're right. Like I, I looked at that as if you are, let's say you are a chef, right? And you want to make a great meal. Like ideally you would like to have gourmet high level ingredients. Now you can make it with, you know, just regular ground beef that you get at Ralph's or something like that. <laughs> um, but you would prefer to have top level ingredients. And I feel like for a lot of this, Kyle Shanahan has made pretty good meals with just basic level ingredients. And I, I, I sort of like Matt Jones is he's okay. Um, but he's, he's not in terms of, of, you know, he's not filet mignon, right? Like, I don't, I, I think, I think there are other options out there that he could probably do more with. Um, I also just don't think that the Niners would have given up all those assets to trade up to get Mac Jones when they could have stayed probably where they were and have a, a fairly good chance of having Jones fall to them, you know, somewhere in oh. at, around 12. Yeah, also a very good point. And, you know, if you want a a template to think about this, think back to Andy Reid and the Chiefs. They had Alex Smith, right? Very solid quarterback. Got into the playoffs a couple years. Very good game manager. If they had gone out and got another Alex Smith, they would have probably kept making the playoffs. Instead, they went out and got Patrick Mahomes, (laughs) arguably the most dynamic quarterback to ever play the position. And look what they're doing now. So, if if they go with Mac Jones, they might be fine. It would be the wrong choice. <laughs> if they go with Justin Fields, I can see the 49ers contending for Super Bowl for the next several years. I, uh, again, digging back into my 49er knowledge, I, I likened this in our friendly text chain that um, it, it's maybe on a different level, but this is sort of like when I wanted, I wanted the Niners so badly to draft Jake Plummer out of Arizona State, and instead they passed on him and they drafted Jim Druckenmiller. And there are probably there are probably people out there who are listening to this podcast saying, <laughs> "Who's Jim Druckenmiller?" Exactly. exactly. Yep. <laughs> so, so uh, hopefully they don't they don't repeat that mistake. Um, all right, so let's get into these top five guys here. Let's start obviously with Trevor Lawrence. He is the number one. Uh, people are saying he is the best quarterback prospect since you know fill in the blank, right? Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning, whoever you want it to be. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is apparently that guy. Now there is, I think I don't think there's a player in this draft that can't get better somewhere. Um, you know, there's no such thing I think as the perfect prospect. Everybody can need some work. We've heard so much about what Trevor Lawrence is great at. When you watch him, where is somewhere you think he can get better? There's actually a few spots. I'm, I think that anyone who views him as a perfect prospect is getting caught up in the hype. So one of the one of the top ones, and not because he's extremely bad at it, it's actually not even really a strong flaw, but just because he can get better and it's my number one trait, 
is accuracy. He is not as accurate as Justin Fields. I don't even know if he's as accurate as Mac Jones when Mac Jones is on his game. Sometimes he can get a little bit wonky, but Lawrence, it's not like I said, it's not a flaw, but he can get better. He can get to a point where he's pinpoint. Right now, he's got all the arm talent. I mentioned that that's kind of a separate category. It's ability to make every throw, throw it all over the field, put it in places uh, where it gets over the DB or past the DB, but still to the receiver just based on a touch and things like that. He's got all that, but he can improve on his accuracy a little bit. And sometimes where that shows up most importantly is when you want those ropes that I talked about briefly, he can tend to kind of airmail it or lob it a little bit more than it needs to be. And then that makes a little bit less accurate. So from a throwing perspective, from a, uh, an arm ability perspective, that's kind of the only place really that I think he can improve because everything else He's got it on lock. And then there's a couple other places from a mental aspect I think he can improve a little bit. One, he tends to sometimes lock onto an option and go there without much thought. When you have great receivers, when you play at Clemson, that can be a little bit of an issue. You know, he trusts that guy to win. But because he locks in, sometimes I saw him, you know, miss a linebacker that slipped under the route or a safety that's cheating over. And then that can lead to either the ball being broken up, an interception happening, Things like that. I think that he maybe needs to learn to uh, check every read before he makes a throw when he's got the time to do it. Pretty small issue. And then the number one issue for me really is, and he's such a good runner that it makes it difficult, but he takes a lot of hits as a runner. He is not a great slider. He's no Kyler Murray, and he doesn't get out of bounds like Lamar Jackson does. He t- And he's tough, so you know credit to him for that. But he tends to want to go through contact and take the hit and keep going where he can. And very often he can. I don't prefer my quarterback <laughs> to do that at the NFL level. And he's not built like Cam Newton. He's definitely a big, big guy, but he's a little bit skinnier. So I don't really want that for my you know, number one overall pick quarterback. So I want to see him learn to take care of himself a little bit better as a runner. But those are really the only issues. And none of them, despite the fact that I kind of ragged on him for a good minute there, <laughs> none of them are really, you know, big, big issues. He's a, definitely a lock to be a number one prospect type of quarterback. No, I mean, I think all the things you mentioned are, are things that can be fixed without a whole lot of work. You know, I mean, obviously he'll, he, he will get with another coaching staff. I'm sure they will, you know, kind of take him through those things and work on them as necessary. I don't, I don't think any of those flaws um, are fatal. I don't think they're, they're unfixable. I think, especially the, I feel like the, the thing about taking hits um I feel like that kind of works itself out because all I have, all you have to do is take a couple of big ones. And I think you sort of, right, you sort of change your attitude about that. I mean, you mentioned Cam Newton. I think Josh Allen's another one who is sort of built mm-hmm. like a, you know, just like a solid tree trunk of a man. Um, and so, you know, I know that's sort of the knock on Josh Allen too, that he takes a lot of hits. He's a big, strong dude. So, you know, he can sort of sustain that a little bit more. I think, you know, the, the moment Trevor Lawrence takes a big hit, I'm sure Urban Meyer and the coaching staff, he'd be like, Hey, you know, maybe get down. <laughs> Something like that. Um, do you think he is a top 10 quarterback in redraft leagues as we sit and talk right now? Ooh, we, I think he's probably going to be just outside for me when, mm-hmm. All rankings fall as they fall. I think he's going to be a little bit outside. Look, Listen, he has Justin Herbert type of ceiling out of the gate. But Justin Herbert finished at 10. Now, he didn't start the year as a starter, so you got to give him a little bit of credit for that. Probably would have been closer to 8th or something like that if he had been 16-game starter. 
but that is the that is to, in my opinion the ceiling justin herbert was incredible as a rookie and his weapons were also incredible you know you come into a team you've got keenan allen as your wide receiver one it's going to go pretty well for you if you're decent lawrence is going to have dj shark and uh, not too much else so I, I don't think he's coming into probably as good of a situation. I do think he has the talent that Herbert has. So he has that kind of 8, 9, 10 ceiling probably. But I don't think I'm going to rank him there. He'll probably come in in the 12 to 13, 14, 15 range of quarterback. If you, if you play in a 2QB league, he should be drafted, no question. If you play in a 1QB league, I think he's going to be fringe for me. I, I think – you, you mentioned Justin Herbert, and I think that's a good early comp in terms of, of what his potential production can be. Uh, Mike F. Florio and I did a, a mock draft a little more than a month ago now, but we were surprised that uh, at the time, Trevor Lawrence was the eighth quarterback off the board, which sort of which sort of shocked us a little bit. Although I do think some of that is just kind of the hype sort of building mm-hmm. for him. Um, I'm curious to see as we get closer to August, September, and things kind of settle down a little bit. Um, yeah, I, This is one of those things where I always feel like the the casual players who come in and draft sort of pull the rest of us back to earth. Those of us who do this all the time, we kind of get a little bit excited, and then it ends up becoming a race to see who can get a guy like Trevor Lawrence. Um, and then the casual folks who haven't been studying this since January kind of come back in, and uh, and then that sort of drags the ADP down. Um, so I, I do sort of like the gravity of it, and I think that will kind of happen once we get a little bit closer. Um, but for the Dynasty folks, I mean, you know, Dynasty rookie drafts are – they will be happening very, very soon. I know that is a thing you were very much in tune with. How many players would you t- position in any position? I know we'll talk about wide receivers and running backs uh, in, a, in a week or two. Uh, regardless of position, how many players are you taking ahead of Trevor Lawrence in a dynasty rookie draft? In a two quarterback league, which a lot of dynasty uh, <clears throat> leagues are, you're taking none. Right. Unless you're unless Justin Fields goes to the Niners and you're in a draft with me and I have the number one overall pick then I'm probably taking Fields. But generally speaking, he's going number one in a one quarterback dynasty league in your rookie drafts. I think he's going to be going around fifth, sixth, seventh, somewhere in that range. I think he's going to go behind Kyle Pitts. A tight end. I know it's crazy. We'll, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, and I think probably behind the top three wide receivers and maybe two running backs. So somewhere in that fifth to seventh range, I think that's probably about right. It's going to be that's that's high for a quarterback in a one QB yeah. league. Is no question. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, I was just I was just sort of curious about that, you know, because I yeah you know, I, I see people do talking about it or whatever, and um, I mean, there's no doubt he's going to be a first round guy. I was just curious yep. as to as to how high into that first round people are going to think about or pulling the trigger on that one. Um, that gets us to Zach Wilson, who is probably uh, looks like he will be the second quarterback taken. It looks like the Jets are probably going to go that direction with him. Uh, Really had a huge jump in production between his, you know, his last two years there at BYU. Uh, a guy who's just sort of a lot of fun to watch, right? I mean, just the, the Zach Wilson highlight reel is really entertaining. Um, when you are scouting and when you look at Wilson in particular, does it concern you to see that big jump in production year over year? Or is that just part of his natural progression? Usually it's not too much of an issue for me. I don't put too much stock in that kind of uh, jump for quarterbacks, especially at smaller schools. Um, 
there's a wealth of factors that can go into why a quarterback breaks out as a junior or a senior that doesn't really have too much to do with their talent. And so it's something where I'll look for a second and say, why did this happen maybe? And then see where it goes from there. But more likely I'm going to scout the years that they, you know, took over, played at a very high level and try to acknowledge the traits that they have. What do they put on tape that will translate to the NFL level and with Zach Wilson, there's a lot of that that's very good. And so I tend to mostly write off the fact that it took him a couple of years to make that jump. Uh, yeah, I, I so I, I want to put him in Trey Lance because we can talk about Trey Lance, too, sort of hmm. while we're at it, because you mentioned small school. Um, and I know we, we talked earlier about don't necessarily scout guys based on school, but I do think we tend to scout guys based on say the level of competition that they played mm-hmm. based on where they went to school. And so now you've got Wilson at BYU, which is not one of the, not in one of the power five conferences. You've got Trey Lance, uh, who's not even an FBS player uh, at North Dakota state. How much did you look at the level of competition versus say playing at an Ohio state or an Alabama where, you know, week to week, you're going to face a lot of guys that have NFL potential that's not something you're necessarily getting, you know, when you are you were the the starting quarterback at, at NDSU. Yeah, that that definitely does matter. You know, as much as I said, I, I kind of try to pull school out of it in terms of like the history of a school producing quarterbacks. I do 100 percent involve who who are they playing against? What is a competition? What is his team's? weaponry weaponry look like based off the conference they're in and the kind of players they've been able to recruit and who is he going up against in terms of the the, you know level of player competition and it it does matter because you just have to contextualize their ability so if you can watch zach wilson throw a football even at a pro day where there's no one on the other side and you can recognize his traits as a passer and you don't need to see who's on the other side of the field to acknowledge, you know, how well does he throw the ball? How what does his release look like? How is he throwing off balance? Things like that. But when you look at stats, when you look at the amount of pressure that they had to deal with, both from a, you know, I'm a quarterback of a school perspective and literally on the field pressure from rushers, um, that that definitely matters a lot. And it's something to just contextualize their production. To a degree. Again, still the tape can stand on its own to some degree, but you do want to contextualize the player and putting him in the conference and in the competition that he played against is part of that. So taking all that into account and looking at Trey Lance, uh, this is a guy who in the grand scheme didn't play a ton of college football. Uh, he played just one this one game uh, in 2020. Most of his work came in 2019. Um Obviously, nobody doubts his athletic gifts, his athletic ability. In terms of though, just actual football playing, is he still too raw? Is there going to be a bigger learning curve for him making that jump to the NFL? He's going to be more raw, I think, than the other guys on this list. He's going to be the most raw of these kind of the, the elite top five, uh, the first rounders, if you will, of this quarterback class. Overall, I don't think he's too raw to contribute in the the NFL quickly. So, you know, despite the fact that I say he's the most raw, we're talking about one of the greatest prospects of the quarterback position in recent memory. We're talking about Justin Fields, who's (laughs) been a national champion level type player. We're talking about Mac Jones, who literally won the national championship and has been playing for Alabama. And Zach Wilson has at least a little bit more experience than Trey Lance, although not 
you know, a ton necessarily mm-hmm. as, as a productive starter, but, but it does matter. And not only that, but the kind of play that Lance, his offense was NFL like caliber and ready in terms of its scheming. But a lot of what he did was take off running. And I would prefer to be able to see a little bit more than uh, of staying in the pocket, being able to throw and he can make the throws, but being able to throw from that kind of perspective rather than just immediately like the offense was largely built around his ability to just burst through a hole and be 30 yards downfield before anybody noticed as a rusher. And so that is something a little bit to take into consideration. But like I said, he's a little bit raw, but he's not too raw to be an NFL quarterback pretty quickly. And that's why he's being talked about as a top 10 draft pick. What I think is interesting is when you read a lot of the scouting reports on Trey Lance, one of the things that jumped out to me was people saying that a lot of times maybe he's too conservative, that, that maybe he doesn't you know pull the trigger enough on some of these throws, which is not something you're used to seeing from a guy that is getting so much attention and getting you know, usually uh, if anything, you hear about guys trying to play hero ball too much. Uh, maybe making throws that they probably shouldn't have. So I think if anything, if you're a, a coach and you look at all that ability and you're like, Hey man, just let it rip a few more times. Like I think that, that that to me feels like a good position to be in as a coach, as opposed to trying to rein a guy in occasionally, uh, you know, who might have say Jameis Winston tendencies to just like heave the ball downfield. So uh, very curious to see where he lands and, and what he could potentially do. In, um, in terms I, of Lance, I will briefly say, you know, Ideally, I would like him to go to a place like Atlanta where he can sit behind mm. a Matt Ryan for a year and then become the starter. I think that would be best for him and for his team. But if he goes to somewhere like Denver and they want to move on immediately, I'm OK with him starting, too. I mean, I've, I've seen Atlanta sort of in the mix there as, as a team that he could possibly go to. And you know, understanding Matt Ryan still does have a couple years left in him, I think, to be really productive. Um, you know, I, I feel the Falcons sort of have to justify, you have to weigh that balance between, you know, taking a guy like Lance, probably, you know, number four, at least in the top five, uh, and then having him sit. So uh, that's a dance that I don't have to make because I'm not in charge of that sort of thing. But I know that's that's got to be part of the calculus. And you mentioned Denver. Denver, I think, is an interesting an interesting proposition just because now after the Darnold trade, there is talk that Teddy Bridgewater could end up there in Denver mm. uh, as the guy to take over, which would, you know, if, if that happens. I would think that takes them out of the Trey Lance market. I mean, not necessarily, but more than likely. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also means, uh, you know, if you're Drew Locke, it's nervous time there because, yes. uh, you know, your, your days in Denver might be numbered if they uh, make a move for uh, for Teddy Bridgewater. Um, Justin Fields, uh, obviously he is sort of the linchpin, I think, in the first round, right? And we, we talked about that. Whatever happens with him, where he goes, uh, could you know, make a lot of dominoes behind him sort of change a little bit. Um, of all the things that have been uh, kind of knocks on him, one of them has been his ability to read coverages and whether or not he's a little bit slow sometimes in diagnosing things. Um, is that real or is that exaggerated by people who maybe have an ax to grind against him? I think it's I think it's a little exaggerated, but I think it's more misplaced. And I'll preface this by saying it can be hard to scout what's going on in the mind of a quarterback. You know, if if he's holding the ball and then taking a sack or throwing a pick, it's hard to say, well, is that because he saw someone that was open, but he didn't have the you know instinct to pull the trigger or it's because he didn't see the right place to throw because he's not reading the coverage correctly. What what is going on there? It can be a little difficult, but this is what I saw 
with Justin Fields on the tape. I saw it was more of an issue with sensing and dealing with pressure than it was with reading coverages. And in my opinion, I think the stats bear this out. Because this is a guy who threw 618 passes, 67 touchdowns, and nine interceptions. <laughs> if you have a real issue reading coverages, I think you're going to end up throwing a few more interceptions <laughs> over the course of your college career. He's been one of the best in college in recent years at being able to produce at a very high level without throwing picks. But what he does do is take a lot of sacks. To me, it, it's a little bit of the Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson kind of uh, side of quarterback things where they want to make the play. They want to make something happen. And because of that, they tend to take more sacks. But they're not out there throwing picks all the time because I do think that he and they can read coverage as well. But as in terms of sensing pressure, that is probably his greatest weakness. I saw a lot of issues with sensing pressure in the pocket, being able to adjust where he is or get the ball out quick enough to deal with that pressure. And if you don't get the ball out quick enough, you're going to get sacked. So that's the that's the real concern that I saw. I don't think it's a big issue with reading coverages, but that doesn't mean it's not a big issue still. So I think at the next level, he needs to be able to learn. And hopefully he has a coach who can help him learn how to more quickly uh, sense, deal with, and avoid pressure. I would say, you know, having watched Jimmy Garoppolo for the last couple of years, um, that is a concern because um, I feel like the the next time Garoppolo evades pressure will be the first. Um, mm. The difference being Justin Fields is a lot more mobile than yes. Jimmy Garoppolo. So uh, hopefully that that would work in his favor if he were to land in San Francisco. Um, I, I still think that should be the pick for the Niners at three. Um, you know, if not, then I think Trey Lance is a nice substitute. Um, the, the guy that as a 49er fan, I would not want is the guy we're going to talk about Mac Jones, who, as you mentioned, he is a national champion, right? He put up some, some eye popping numbers this past year. Um, but again, you know, last year was his first year really as a full-time starter. The year before that, uh, he was on the bench Tua Tonga Vailoa gets hurt. Mac Jones steps in and plays very well the rest of the way. But this is his first year as a full-time starter. How much of this was – I shouldn't say I, – I shouldn't ask you like this. So how much do you think he benefited from Alabama's depth at wide receiver? Because we we're going to talk – when we talk about wide receivers, yeah, there will be a couple of Bama guys that we mentioned right off the top there. Um, and you just go back you know, through the years with Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy, Calvin Ridley, uh, you know, Julio Jones, Amari Cooper. I mean, this is just in the last decade. These are the guys that have come out of Alabama at the wide receiver position. Uh, and they are as, as deep now as maybe they has ever, have ever been. Um, how much does that go in helping a quarterback be successful when you've got guys like that to throw to? <laughs> I mean, listen, it's not difficult to say a lot. <laughs> he had the best wideout in college football, not just last year, but arguably in the last several years, leading his team and his offense this past year. And you mentioned the, you know, the incredible statistics, right? He had a 77% completion percentage. <laughs> that seems to bear out he's extremely accurate, which is what a lot of people talk about. But then you watch his pro day. And he kind of struggles a little bit. And you say, hmm, what, what, what's going on there? Well, when you have extremely, extremely talented receivers, they tend to pull in passes that are maybe a little bit off the mark where others wouldn't and maybe inflate that number a little bit. Here's here's a, a fun stat that I like to bring up with Mac Jones. OK, a lot of people compare him to statistically 
to Joe Burrow from 2019. They both had massive seasons in terms of yards and touchdowns. Mac Jones in 2020, Burrow in 2019. Burrow that season completed 124 passes into tight windows. Mac Jones completed 44 passes into tight windows last year. In other words, his receivers are wide open. And by the way, Joe Burrow (laughs) had incredible receivers, like some of the best multiple first rounders, maybe even three uh, in that, in that one season. But when your guys are getting as open as Mac Jones receivers are, and when they have the ability to bring in passes from, you know, three feet off of where they should be in a way that other receivers can't, it definitely does help make your numbers look better. And even your tape look better because there is bias to seeing that, you know, throw turn into a touchdown, even though it maybe shouldn't have based off where the quarterback put it. So it definitely does matter a lot. Again, I try to, you know, evaluate the quarterback on his his skills specifically but when you are watching that ball go downfield and it's being brought in with an incredible catch by Devonte smith that a normal human being would not make <laughs> it's something that you have to be conscious to say okay maybe i don't put that in mac jones positive column so last week we had matt Harmon on the show who uh you know obviously he spends a lot of time looking at wide receivers as well i know that's something you you do as well and one of the things he said last week was because he spends so much time watching wide receivers by extension, he ends up spending a lot of time watching quarterbacks as well. And I would think for you, um, I would imagine that's something you sort of notice, right? I mean, you notice uh, obviously not only how good the receiver is, but I would imagine you spend a lot of time sort of noticing the quality of target that these Mm -hmm. receivers are getting as well. Yep, absolutely. And you know, that's one of the ways you can even notice quarterbacks before you're starting to scout them. And that's the kind of the way it goes with a lot of different positions too. If you start, if you start to notice something about the player, you're not even scouting that can tell you a lot more sometimes than when you're scouting that player in particular. So if you're scouting Devonte Smith and Jalen Waddle, spoiler, those are the two top Alabama <laughs> we're going to get to in a couple of weeks you should know their names um, <laughs> and you you're noticing things about Mac Jones and that maybe he's not he's struggling a bit to put the ball exactly where it needs to be or under throwing a little bit or things like that. That can stand out to me even a little bit more sometimes than when I'm scouting him and watching what he's doing. Cool. Um, so we've gone through those five guys, any guys outside of the top five that, you know, at least for our fantasy purposes, you think are worth paying attention to right now? Um, right now worth paying attention to probably, I would say Kyle Trask out of Florida is kind of the next man up after these five first rounders. But the reason we're talking about these five is because they're all first rounders and everybody after that is probably second at the earliest for Trask and then beyond that for pretty much every other name. But if, if Trask goes to a decent landing spot on day two, especially in the second round, he's going to be worth paying attention to paying attention to. I would say, from a scouting perspective, he's not really going to blow you away. He's honestly kind of like a poor man's Mac Jones to a degree. Also not very dynamic, but gets the job done and did have a lot of talent around him that kind of uh, maybe elevated how he looked and, and what his statistics uh, came out as. So a guy to keep an eye on, but not at the level of these five. Well, that feels like a perfect way for us to move on to the tight end position because you talk about Kyle Trask, who was the quarterback at the University of Florida, and the guy that he was throwing to pretty frequently is by far the number one tight end being talked about in the draft, Kyle Pitts 
from the University of Florida. Um, obviously, he is ahead of the pack when, it, when we start talking about tight ends. But for you, how far ahead of the pack is he compared to everybody else? Oh, I'm going to go with roughly 400 light years or something <laughs> like that. It's it's honestly kind of hard to put into words. And honestly, it's it's really rough for a couple of the other guys on the list because they're decent prospects. And so like to say that they're way, way behind feels like we're just saying, ah, there's no one else in this tight end class that's even <laughs> worth drafting or considering. That's not even true. There's at least two other guys that I think are probably worth looking at in your rookie drafts in Dynasty and will be worth looking at in redraft within a couple years. But it just doesn't matter when you're comparing them to Kyle Pitts. <laughs> this guy, uh, he's often called a unicorn. I feel like that's a little bit of an understatement. I don't know how powerful unicorns are, <laughs> but this is more like, I don't know, some kind of dragon unicorn hybrid thing. He's a whole nother fantastical realm apart from every other player on this list. And honestly, almost every player in this draft class from a fantasy perspective, and, and just in terms of, how incredible he is as a prospect. The fact that we are uh, invoking crypto, uh, mythical cryptozoology in order to describe how <laughs> pits should go a long way toward telling you like how talented this guy is. Um, so, I mean, look, we're, it, we normally don't talk about rookie tight ends in fantasy. I mean, you're, you're talking about them more in dynasty and, and waiting for them a couple years down the road. But there is so much excitement about what Kyle Pitts is and can be that we're talking about drafting him. Not only people talking about drafting him, but they're talking about drafting him high. Like I would think when we're, when we're talking about tight ends in redraft leagues, um, in some order, you're going to have Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller, George Kittle. Those are going to be your top three. Then you start to get into the Mark Andrews, TJ Hawkinson's of the world for your money. Where does Kyle Pitts slot amongst those guys when we're talking redraft fantasy? There's no doubt in my mind he should be top 10. Mm -hmm. So there's that the start. You can start with that. Put that as your floor. I think probably I'm going to be putting him somewhere around sixth okay. or so kind of after the elite three. There's no question in my mind for now. You have to put him after the elite three of Kelsey Kittle and Waller. And then for me, I'm probably going to slot him behind Mark Andrews and TJ Hawkinson for now because I know those guys are going to produce. I've seen what they can be. I, be. I know they're going to be tight end ones, and I feel very confident in them. Whereas I don't know that for a fact with Pitts just because I've never seen him play at the NFL level, and it's very rare for a tight end to produce at that level as a rookie. However, there's also no doubt in my mind that he is a better tight end than those two guys just in terms of fantasy potential, like how good this guy can be, how high his ceiling is. And I think that one of the main things, so I'll just briefly touch on this, that really makes this an immediate hit kind of situation for Pitts is that a lot of times with tight ends that we really, really get excited about coming out in the draft, they are athletic freaks, right? Mm. They're extremely explosive. They're crazy fast. We look at them in their size and then we look at their combine numbers or their tape and we say, how is that happening? That doesn't really make sense. <laughs> but what they're often missing is the ability as a receiver to run routes, to get off the to release off the line of scrimmage, to beat man coverage, uh, things like that, where there's something you have to learn at the NFL level. So a coach at the NFL level has to teach you how to do that because largely in college they don't to the degree you need to to succeed in the NFL. Kyle Pitts has all of that already. No question. He mm -hmm. is a savvy, athletic, 
agile, nasty route runner. It's like how besides forget the size and how is he doing this? Just how is he doing this at all is the question that comes to mind when you're watching him on tape. So I think that he has that that kind of skill set that maybe is often missing from a rookie tight end and we need a couple years for it to develop because he has that already. That's why I'm willing to draft him top six. Maybe even by the time, you know, depending on where he goes, the redraft uh, drafts roll around, I'll be taking him above those two and he'll be the number four tight end. It's entirely possible. Does it matter where he goes? I mean, obviously, I'm sure there are some places that are probably better fits than others. Um, but I feel like a guy with that skill set that has, you know, the tight end next to his name, um, I feel like there's almost no place that's a, a terrible fit for Kyle Pitts. Yeah, he's going to succeed wherever he goes. And honestly, if wherever he goes would be an offense that would potentially bring him down, you would think initially. In my opinion, it's more likely that he just brings that offense up mm-hmm. because that's how good he is. So there's no place that he goes that I think, oh, boy, that that's just unless he goes like behind <laughs> Kittle or something (laughs) goes to another place with an elite tight end. Maybe that's an issue, but that's not going to happen. That he's going to go to a team who wants an absolute superstar uh, skill position player, and he will probably be the focal point of of the offense of wherever he goes, or at least it's very likely. So when we talk about in dynasty leagues now with him, um, you know, I generally, especially I feel like in dynasty rookie drafts or startup drafts, you were sort of drafting based on the scarcity of the position and the potential of that guy, right? Could you make a case? And I know that I don't think he's he's being considered as maybe the number one pick in dynasty rookie drafts, um, you know, outside of Superflex or something like that. But could you make a case that, look, considering the lack of depth at tight end right now and to have a guy who could potentially be that dude for a long time, could you make a case for making him the first rookie off the board in some dynasty drafts? Uh, let me answer it this way. On our podcast, um, we t- when we when we scouted Kyle Pitts and we kind of did the profile on him and we asked the question, "How high should he go?" I said, "Guys, I'm struggling. You got you got to rein me in here because I'm considering that he should be the 101 in super flex rookie drafts above these quarterbacks. That is how crazy good this guy is. And here's the thing: like, if you're at the 101 and you you do want a quarterback, you could trade down three spots." And still get a good one and probably pick up a pick that you can also get Kyle Pitts with. And in in a one QB league, not only do I think it is, you know, a case can be made, I think it might be the best move. And I love some of the other prospects. We're going to talk about a receiver that I would also be happy getting at the 101. There's a couple running backs. A lot of people would be happy to get at the 101. And some people would even take Trevor Lawrence with the 101. I think Kyle Pitts might be the best choice for the 101 in a rookie draft one QB because he is as good or better a prospect than all these other guys. But like you mentioned with the positional scarcity taken into account, it rockets him up. Everybody wants a Kittle or Kelsey on their dynasty team. It feels almost like a necessity. And you are like, it's hard to say you are likely going to get that with Pitts because that's such a you know high claim. Right. But honestly, you are likely to get that <laughs> with Kyle Pitts. That's how good I think he is. So, yes, not only can a case be made, I think it's a great move. So, all right. So, obviously, we've gotten our Kyle Pitts love out of the way. You mentioned that there are some other, believe it or not, guys, there are other tight ends <laughs> in this draft. Shocking, I know. Um, so, after Pitts, who are, say, your next you know, three or four guys that, that you're looking at? Uh, definitely the next guy for me is Brevin Jordan. Um, and then after that would be Pat Fryermuth. Brevin Jordan's out of Miami. Fryermuth is out of Penn State. 
those are the two guys to me that I think are still uh, probably in like the second round conversation in terms of your rookie draft and maybe going somewhere in the second to third round, uh, maybe fourth round for Brevin Jordan. He's actually a little bit less complete of a tight end, so he'll probably go a little bit later. But for fantasy in your rookie draft, second or third round type of players, Brevin Jordan, extremely athletic. Another one of those guys who you're going to get really excited about as a speedy, athletic tight end who's going to be a game breaker. And Pat Fryermuth, very, very well-rounded guy. A lot of people are calling him Baby Gronk. I think it's a bit rich maybe for me, but he is very, very solid. Going to be one of those guys that becomes kind of a possession tight end at the NFL level, I think, who is going to be a very, very valuable asset for their NFL team, You know, converting third downs, making seam plays that break off 20 yards, and it's going to be good for you uh, both for – whatever team drafts him and for your fantasy team i think both these guys can contribute again they're nowhere near kyle pitts and they're not going to be guys you're drafting in redraft i don't think in 2021 but they're they're going to be good dynasty stashes and then after that there's a couple other names that come much further down the list hunter long uh trey mckitty or a couple guys but they're going to be much further below this tier in my opinion i i i feel for for tight ends coming out of college now because uh, look, TJ Hawkinson was labeled baby Gronk. Now we're talking yep. about Pat Fryer with being baby. Like let these, let these guys live, right? Let's not, yep. let's not try to attach them. You know, it's, it's like for years in basketball, right? Everybody was looking for the next Michael Jordan. Now we're going to be looking for the next LeBron. Like let these dudes live and let them kind of create their own legacy. Let's not attach them to, you know, some of the greatest players all time in the history of the sport. Um, very curious to know what you think, because, I feel like, you know, we have gotten into an age sort of of specialization at a lot of different positions. And I think tight end is no different, especially now when you're seeing more teams run 12 personnel. You've got two tight ends on the field. And generally, you've got one guy who may be better as sort of an inline blocker. I can very much help in the run game. And then you've got your guy who's more of your move tight end, who can run routes, who can catch passes. Every once in a while, you run into a guy who can do both. You get a, a Gronk, you get a George Kittle who can excel in both. But, you know. Those guys are really, really rare because now teams are sort of asking guys to maybe specialize in one area versus the other. Do you feel like that's shortening the learning curve for tight ends and maybe getting us to a point where um, we're not going to I'm not going to sit here and say that the tight ends are going to be ready for you in year one. But maybe we are talking more about guys ready in year two than, say, three or four years down the road in the past. Yeah, I think that definitely is the case. And I think there's maybe a couple different reasons for it. You certainly hit on a good one. You know, the fact that they're kind of splitting the skill sets so that it's a little bit easier to succeed in one or the other. And for fantasy, obviously, the receiving skill set is the one we want. And so when guys get kind of pigeonholed, if you will, into that, and they're already good at that, it's a little bit easier for them to become prominent for fantasy and at the NFL level. Whereas if they were you know 10 15 years ago where they had to be a good blocker and they weren't that yet it would hold them back another thing i really think that just kind of helps this uh what is the rising tides lift all boats is that the quote or something like yeah, that yep yep as all these tight ends continue to be uh more focused on in nfl offenses as the receiving tight end becomes a larger part of the game and we see more and more guys break out and become, you know, uh, very valuable offensive weapons for their team. I think that in itself helps the future of the position in terms of how quickly they develop. And I think it's kind of two part. One is because teams want uh, a tight end who can be a big part of the offense quicker, they focus on that faster. 
And so the, as soon as they get drafted, they're developing that player to be an impact player sooner. Whereas, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it was like, listen, we need you to basically block for this running back. And sometimes we'll go out <laughs> and catch a pass and it'll be nice for us. Um, the other thing is because, you know, we, we've got these Gronks, Kittles, Kelsey's now Wallers to look up to college teams, college offenses and college players are even getting a little bit more advanced earlier. And so by the time, like we're seeing with Kyle Pitts, that they get to the NFL level, we're looking at a guy who might be the most like developed pass catching tight end as a rookie, maybe ever, certainly in recent memory. So I think there's a number of things that factor into this, but I think you're absolutely right that the learning curve is shortening. And we always talked about the three or four year breakout for tight ends that might now become the two year breakout for tight ends much more commonly, which is exciting. Yeah. I mean, once upon a time, it felt like tight ends were basically offensive linemen that had better hands. <laughs> That's kind of what it was. Uh, and now tight ends are sort of turning into uh, you know, the, the pass catching tight ends, at least are basically like uh, big body wide receivers almost. Um, and then you, you get a guy like Pitts who just ends up being potentially a matchup nightmare. Um, you know, it is the seems to be the end game in evolution uh, for the position. And, uh, you know, look, I'm not ready to say the tight end isn't deep yet. Um, maybe, <laughs> maybe we're inching toward that day. Who knows? Kyle's going to help. He's going to help. Absolutely. Uh, before we get out of here and you, glad to have you, we'll have you back next week to talk some running backs too. Why? I don't know if you saw this. Aaron Rodgers uh, is hosting Jeopardy for like the next couple of weeks. Um, and so I, I didn't get to watch it. I've seen the clips. The one that's circulating is about the guy in final Jeopardy who wrote, you know, why did you guys keep a field goal or something like that? Um, but I know our guy, Steve, our producer here, He's got thoughts. Um, you said you said before the show that you had never openly rooted against a Jeopardy host. And this is obviously <laughs> your Lions fandom coming in here to play here, watching the Packers quarterback host a game show. Um, and I just want to know, how exactly do you root against a game show host? <laughs> so, yeah, Aaron Rodgers is 17 and five against the Lions. So it was really, really <laughs> easy to root against a game show host. But uh, <laughs> difficult to find something to to get excited about, you know, I'm hoping he would mispronounce something or, or screw up the transition to break. Cause they got to stop like right in the middle of a uh, Q and a, like, all right, hold on. We got to go to break. Um, <laughs> and, and unfortunately he nailed that. I mean, there's a few things that I can, can point at to, to, to give him a tough time. Like, I don't know. He looked like an old guy in that suit. It was weird. Seeing <laughs> Did you see the photos? It was, uh, it, it was weird. The way, the way his hair was sort of like combed over and slicked yeah. back, it, just did, it yeah. didn't look natural. It didn't look natural. No, no, not at all. And so throughout the show, he did his couple little cute things where there was a question about Long John Silver and he made an R sound. And then there's a Larry <laughs> David thing and all the the people on Twitter freaked out about it because he showed some semblance of a personality. Uh, I... I, I was uh, I was sitting there pouting the whole time when he was making. <laughs> oh, this is hilarious. Um, yeah, look, I, I'm first off, I have to let you know, like you know, the, the show's taped in advance, so even if he did screw up, they probably just cut it and like had him do it. I over. hope they don't. Maybe there's a lion <laughs> fan at the editing floor. So, like, I don't. Uh, I it's it's not. I'm gonna just let you in on a little secret. Jeopardy is not a live show, uh, <laughs> so if he did screw up, you'll you'll never really know about it. And also, having him host this reminded me of. Um, you guys are probably not old enough to remember, but um, there was a Chargers kicker by the name of Rolf Banerska who sometime in the 80s 
There was a daytime version of Wheel of Fortune, and uh, Rolf Bernerska, who was the Chargers kicker, uh, hosted it for a short time. It didn't last long. It didn't really rate well. I mean, you know, he was no Pat Sajak, uh, so it didn't last. So, um, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know other than they played football with the tie in is maybe, maybe Aaron Rodgers will be as successful or less successful than Rolf Benershka. And that will make you happy, Steve. I have no idea, well, uh, but you can look it up. <laughs> there, there's, there's one thought I, I have on that. And in his effort to be successful uh, at halftime, the basketball game last night, uh, he did an IG live an Instagram live. And mm. a fan asked him about, about it. He said, how much time do you spend prepping? He said, he spent, 50 to 100 hours watching old Jeopardy episodes. Wow. And I think if he spent 50 to 100 hours watching film, getting ready for, say, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, then maybe they wouldn't have needed to worry about it. <laughs> so it, it, it could it come to pass that the best thing for the Lions and, and the NFC North is that he becomes the, the next host of Jeopardy. So <laughs> maybe there's a silver lining here. I can't wait for somebody to do like a behind the scenes, like sit in on a Jeopardy watching film session with Aaron Rodgers. Like we got to see if we can make that happen. If, uh, <laughs> if we can sit in and watch Jeopardy tape with, uh, with Aaron Rodgers, if he's like running the clicker on Alex Trebek, uh, you know, and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, I see him doing the fast forward rewind. Yeah. Like, yeah watching everything. Yeah. All that minute stuff. detail. You know, uh, how does he approach the, the contestants when he asks them their life story, all that kind of stuff? Well, uh, I hope for your sake as a, a long-suffering Lions fan that he, like, you know, mispronounces some Latin term that we don't know. Um, Thank and you. Let you feel that. Let you feel better about, the, about watching Jeopardy for the next couple of weeks. So, uh, all right. Uh, in the meantime, for us, that is it. We are done. We appreciate you hanging out with the NFL Fantasy Football Show. You know the drill. Tell two friends to tell two friends. Rate, review, and remember – can atheists be insured for acts of God? Be safe, take care of yourselves, wear a mask, and we'll talk to you next week. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.